Tim. Got back from your moose hunt. Congratulations on the moose, man. Thank you, buddy. And uh, folks, if you want to learn more about uh, potentially going on a moose hunt, um, this in this case in Canada, and the preparation and all the things that go with it, please uh, stay tuned because we've got the episode for you. Hey, if you like what these two dumbasses are doing, please hit the like button and subscribe today. So, Bud, why don't you go, let's go into intros. And uh, let's start with you. How long you been hunting? And hey, was this your first hunt, moose hunt? So been hunting for you know about 15 years, 16 years. Didn't really start until I met Phil um, back in uh, in Colorado. Really met him in North Dakota. But didn't start hunting until Colorado. This was my first moose hunt experience and my first uh, hunt outside of the United States. So for me, a lot of firsts. I wish there was a first moose kill tag in there too but um it will come hopefully it will come all right uh steve well uh i've been hunting for 50 plus years now uh not my first moose hunt i hunted in newfoundland in 2010 and got a moose there got a bull there uh of course you don't bring much back from that hunt you know, you bring back enough for a taste and a set and a rack, and away you go. Uh, this moose that I got was considerably bigger. They're they're actually smaller there, I think. Uh, racks are everything we saw was less developed. So for our area, I think it was a bit in Newfoundland. I think it was a bit overhunted in that area. Uh, and also, well, it's actually my second hunt out of the country. I hunted doves in Argentina in two thousand nine. And that was incredible also. All right, Phil. Well, so I, I started hunting when Steve was 50. And so I've been at it for a little over 40 years now. Um, this is my first hunt uh, that was a guided hunt and my first hunt um, out of the United States. Um, up till now, almost all of my hunting has been on public land. Um, so this was also my first time where we basically had uh, sole private access to hunt. So some unique experiences there for me. Okay. Uh, so what types of hunting have you guys done? And, you know, let's start with you, Steve. Uh, in my, it, starting in Northern Minnesota, basically every type of upland game here, in Western North Dakota, Wyoming, uh, some in Colorado, uh, waterfall in Minnesota and Dakotas, deer, antelope in Wyoming, mule deer in North Dakota, white-tailed deer in North Dakota, moose, like I said before, in Newfoundland, and elk in Colorado. How about you, Phil? Uh, so I, I consider myself a bow hunter. I, I started bow hunting when I was 15, uh, I, I killed my first year when I was 13 with a rifle. But um, as I got into my high school years, I, the way I like to put it is I wasn't good enough to kill one in the short rifle season. I needed the whole three months of archery season to have a chance. Um, so I, I kind of, for many years, uh, probably 15 plus years, I was solely archery. And when I actually moved back to Nebraska, 
in 2004 is when I really started getting back into to rifle hunting. Um, kind of like Steve, I've, I've hunted everything from squirrels and rabbits and dove and duck, uh, turkey, antelope, elk, deer, mule deer, um, you name it. Um, I like to hunt it. That's awesome. And you shot, uh, you're, uh, you're also turkey hunt with a bow too. Is that right? Um, I did just get a turkey a few days ago with my bow. Yeah. Awesome. Um, I, I, I do a lot of, uh, turkey in the fall which most people do turkey in the spring um, but i'm busy fishing in the spring so i usually wait until fall to get my turkey how about you bud i primarily have been a, a deer hunter in the time that i've hunted and and uh hunted quite a bit of waterfowl uh i, I did do a lot of archery hunting and still do that but when i do it it's more like hiking through the mountains with a bow i've had very limited success on elk uh, over the years, but I do enjoy it very much. But primarily those, I've tried a lot of different types of hunting. I'm a little red, green, colorblind. So some of the upland game hunting, bird identification is tough for me. Um, same kind of thing, have to study a little bit for waterfowl or have somebody close to me that knows then that, that can help help call and identify for me. Uh, Cause I have trouble uh, picking them out a lot of times, um, especially between uh, the males and females. You know, the guidance I've always been told with when it comes to elk hunting, is hey you don't pass up your legal bull the first first bull you get an opportunity to take a shot at you take a shot at because you never know i mean you just you never know if you're going to see him again yeah it's uh it's tough and I, I i agree completely um i've had some bad luck on a few uh missed a few uh you know for different reasons but like any hunting you know it's always a the, the first four or five years i was probably making way too much noise to ever get close to one and then as you learn, you know, you get better. Uh, one of these days I'll, I'll get that big one. I don't know about you guys. I've hunted a lot with this guy and, and, uh, it seems like something's always going to happen when I'm hunting. Always. It's always something. And I, I feel like in the end, I am going to be the smartest hunter out there. Now I won't have anybody to share that knowledge with, but by the, there'll be a day to where I am going to be yeah. the smartest hunter that's out there. You're well, saying that if you learn through mistakes, you're going to be yeah. like a professional. Yeah, I, I really do. <laughs> I mean, you've seen them, right? I mean, you've lived it. Well, you can't be that bad because you're not a full-scale vegetarian. So, <laughs> thank God for grocery stores. <laughs> so, so how did you guys go about finding a place to hunt, or what led you to you guys to think about moose hunting? And let you know, let's start with Phil. So back in the early 90s, when I was stationed uh, up there by Steve in Grand Forks, North Dakota, I was archery hunting whitetails a lot, and I, I got to bumping into moose and actually had opportunity to call a couple of bull moose right underneath my stand. And uh, of course, didn't have a tag for them, but really, really enjoyed it. And so I knew then someday that I was going to do a moose hunt. Um, it was just a matter of finding the right place and finding a time when I could do it. And I, I looked at some opportunities there in Ontario to do a combination fishing slash moose hunt trip. And I passed on those in the, the late 90s, early 2000s. And then I started looking seriously again about three or four years ago. And what I really wanted to do was an Alaska moose hunt. 
um, I, I wanted to do a float trip. But when you start looking at that, those trips have gotten um, outrageously expensive. And so they were out of my budget. And so that started me looking in, into areas that might fit my budget um, more so, but still give me an opportunity to get a, a good size moose, um, something, you know, 35 inches or, or bigger. And the area there around Saskatoon and North Battleford has a pretty good reputation for 35 plus inch moose with an opportunity for um, something in the 50s and maybe even close to 60. So the, the price wasn't too bad. Um, also, what was appealing about it was we were able to drive. When I looked at some of the Alaska hunts, if you fly, it's really prohibitively expensive to try to fly all the meat back with you. And so most people end up donating it. And uh, I've, I've had moose a few times when I lived there in North Dakota, and my grandpa killed one in northern Minnesota when I was younger, and uh, it was delicious. So I wanted to be able to bring some moose meat back for um, the family and to share with some friends. And so that meant really finding a place that you could drive to. And while it's not an easy drive, um, it is within driving distance. And, and that's kind of what led me to, to the area there in Saskatchewan that, that we chose to hunt. So Steve, Bud, do you have anything else to add? Oh, camaraderie. I mean, that's it. Time with friends, you know, and he asked for, asked for why a moose just because it was next on the list again, yeah. you know, but the time with the friends and, and, uh, all the good natured kidding that I received, but I'll be okay. I didn't think they were kidding. Steve. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. I, I have a case. I don't care. So I'll use different wording as than I normally would, but I'm just feeling bad about it, but I'll get over it. Bud, you got anything to add? No, I would just say I'm always looking for a new, you know, experience uh, and not just in hunting, but in life. I enjoy, you know, trying to do things, you know, I've, I've jumped out of planes. I've done some other things I haven't done a bunch of times, but uh, you know, something new and different that we hadn't done before. Uh, but I would say Steve's right. that The most important thing is, this is an excuse for us to get together and spend week uh, with, with our good friends. Yeah. Awesome. So moving on, I'm going to start with you, Phil. How, how did you guys go about finding a place to hunt moose? How did you go about finding this place? Um, so I'll, I'll tell you, I, I record a lot of outdoor channels and I, I watch a lot of them in particular looking for places that other people are going um, that seem to be popular. And then I, I went from there into some online research. And, and what I would say is um, there's a lot of information out there, but I found that a lot of it is not very useful. Um, there's a lot of overhyping of, of what can be expected on a hunt because you know, in, in the end, most of these places are salesmen. And so um, until you give them your money, um, they're trying to sell you on a dream that you're chasing, right? Um, and then, so 
uh, early on, you'll you'll hear a lot about, oh yeah, you know, ninety percent success, one hundred percent success, hundred percent opportunity, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then, you know, like we found uh, the first day when we met our outfitter up there, who we had never talked to before because of, of different circumstances, we had talked to basically a broker. Um, one of the first things he said to us is, Hey, these are, these are wild moose. There's no guarantee. Um, you know, you're going to have to hunt for what you get. Um, so the, the amount of information, um, that's out there online, I, I didn't find very useful. Um, what I would say was useful was I found a, a couple of references that I was able to call and talk to. And, um, I would just uh, caution that the references that outfitters are going to give you are going to be people that were successful and had a pleasant experience. Um, because again, they're trying to sell you on something. So you, you kind of keep that in mind as you're talking to those folks that, that their outcome was, um, most generally a successful outcome. Um, but what I was looking for was, not necessarily a guarantee of a success rate or anything like that. I was looking for a type of hunt that I wanted to do. And for the moose hunt, even though I'm at heart a, a bow hunter, I had decided early on that when I went for moose, I wanted to do it with a rifle. And I wanted to be comfortable with, with long range shooting if I had to be. And uh, that central part of Saskatchewan has a lot of wheat fields. And I had been through there on fishing trips before, and I knew what the terrain looked like. And I, I felt like that the way that the terrain was going to lay out, that it would afford me an opportunity for spot and stock with a rifle. And so once I kind of narrowed down into that area, then it was just a matter of, of selecting who you were going to hunt with. And that's where if you go to look at a lot of these um outfitters online you can't find a lot of information uh, about them um you can't find a lot of information about exactly where they're hunting or that kind of thing so um you, you kind of have to piece together your understanding of the geography of the area um the places that they mentioned to you take a look at that and, and see if it fits the style of hunting that you want um what we ended up on in this hunt is instead of hunting the wheat fields we ended up going a little bit farther north into um, a more wooded and hilly area. And uh, growing up in, in South Central Missouri, that that was something I was comfortable hunting. So once we got to that area, um, I loved it. And as soon as I started seeing pictures of the area, um, I knew I was going to love that kind of hunt. Um, but that's what I was really looking for, something that fit kind of my style of hunting. So, Bud, Steve, do you have anything you want to add? References, references, references. I mean, don't you? I mean, I think as a as a hunter and a and a a businessman businessman myself, I look for references to know that the people I'm dealing with are reputable, quality, and in all honesty, truthful. You know, I think that. Even though some people may be reputable, in the long run, sometimes truth escapes some things. I know that I really enjoyed the time with the guide that we did end up with in the end, and think I actually think the world of the guy. I he's a nice man. He's a good person. 
he's talented, he understands, and he's concerned about the about the the moose herd itself and making sure that he ma helps manage the moose herd in his area. You know, when we spoke with him, what impressed me is he said, nobody shoots a cow here, not out of my camp. He said, if, if for every cow you shoot, you eventually take about 100 animals out. And I really thought that was a good thing to hear. So what was the criteria for selecting an out outfitter and Phil, I, I put you to start with because I think you you kind of led that search. So I got I'm starting with you, and if I've got that wrong, you guys chime in. Um, yeah. So the the criteria that I used, um, you know, go, goes back to the the style of hunting that I was looking for, um, and I, I got references, and I called some folks that had hunted um, with the gentleman that we originally booked with. And of course that was pre COVID and um, our hunt got put off a couple years because of COVID and the outfitter that we were originally scheduled with was, um, was um, inflicted with COVID and ended up having to get out of the guiding business. He, he never quite recovered fully from the COVID and the, the folks that I had talked to were very impressed with, with that gentleman. So um, the hump broker that I had used to book the hunt, um, when I talked to him, he moved me to a, a di different outfitter. And I asked him, you know, this, this was a late, a late development. So our hunt was in September um, or the first week of October. Um, he didn't tell me that he was having to switch us until probably late July, August. And so I asked questions, you know, about, you know, what, what about this new guy you're moving us with? Is he good, et cetera? And, you know, he talked, he talked him up um, really well and gave me a level of comfort with going with this other gentleman. Um, so I was like, that's fine. You know, we'll, we'll, you know, we waited two years. We're, we're ready to go. We'll go. Um, and then we ended up not hunting with this gentleman. Um, he, I would say in the August timeframe, I saw some posts that he had posted on Facebook commenting about how he had booked more clients than he'd ever booked before. And that he, uh, was, you know, asking for people to pray for him that, or that, you know, that he did well and that sort of thing. And so that immediately raised a red flag with me. And so I started calling and talking with the other gentleman and saying, Hey, you know, I've got some concerns here. Um, I'm worried that this guy is over hunting his area, that he's overbooked, that he's not going to be able to, to uh, give us a good hunt and that sort of thing. And that kind of resulted in us getting um, moved over to the, to the gentleman we actually hunted with. And, um, I, I would echo what Steve said, um, and, and something that I've always said is even a blind squirrel finds a nut every once in a while. Um, I, I think that was the case uh, with, with Nathan. Um, I think we were very fortunate that we got to hunt with Nathan. Uh, he, uh, he took us to an area that I absolutely loved. Um, we did a camping type of hunt as opposed to a hunt from a hotel and drive around and do spot and stock, which we had initial, originally planned. 
Um, I like that way better than what we had initially been signed up for. Um, so yeah, so so references were were big, and and then we just kind of got lucky in the end, I think. Yeah, yeah. I, I'll just add add something here. Um, a, a mistake that I think I made that uh, maybe can help some some other folks. Um, once the hunting season starts, the the guides and the outfitters are overwhelmed with whoever is in camp that week. They don't have time to be um, putting attention toward the guys that are coming the next week or two weeks out or three weeks out. And I, I had a hard time getting answers to a lot of my questions once they were in camp and hunting. And, and some of that is they have limited cell phone service. So they may only get to their cell phone every two or three days. Um, so I would recommend if you do something like this, that you want to, come up with a list of questions and things that you think you want to know. And you want to ask those in the early summer before they get busy with their other clients. And I, I think it's also respectful to the other clients that while they're out there trying to get somebody else on a moose or a deer or elk or whatever they're guiding, that, that you're not bothering them with their phone ringing all the time, um, that they can actually focus on their other clients. And, and I think that's what we expect when we're there is that the next group isn't bothering them by calling them all the time. And, and so I think if you do that, um, if you think ahead, you'll, you'll get better answers to your questions and you'll be better prepared in the end. Yeah, good. That's a good one. So uh, moving on, you know, going to, and I think we might have even answered this, but how do you guys think overall this, this worked out for us? And I'll start with Bud. Well, it worked out better for some of us than others from a tag perspective, right? Um, that, uh, but that's always, you know, that's why they call it hunting and not killing, right? So um, I think in the end, it was a great camp. Nathan and his guys were great. Um, would have liked to have seen some more experience in a couple of the guides that helped uh, Nathan. Uh, but, but I think it was fantastic from that perspective. Um, I had some technical phone challenges <laughs> up there. I've since gotten a new phone. So be prepared when you head up to the great white North. Uh, I, I was daily ticked off because everybody else's phone seemed to work and mine didn't. Uh, so that's a, a mistake that I made that I won't make again for sure. Uh, but I, I thought it was great. Um, the, the people that guided us were fantastic. And then I, I really thought everyone we met in Canada was great too. Um, the one gal when Phil and I were leaving that, uh, you know, on, on Friday, we were trying to find a hotel. Apparently all the hotels in Canada fill up every single day. There's never a vacancy. And we were calling around and this gal at, at one of the hotels, um, actually called a whole bunch of other hotels to find a place for us. And finally she called us back and she said, I can't find anything. So I'm going to go clean one of these rooms where somebody just left. It won't look pretty, but it'll be clean and you can stay here. So, uh, which was fantastic. So the people were great. Experience was great, um, but uh, there are some challenges when you get up there. Yeah, Steve, Steve, Phil, you got anything to add? Well, I, I'd have to agree with Bud on the fact that when we were in camp, I, I thought the guys that, that uh, Nathan had, though a couple of them were new to it, they were very good, very polite, courteous. They were fun to be around. It was a good time. Nathan did a, an exceptional job. 
for us. And, and in all honesty, he basically took us on as a, as an after his group hunt. I would have to agree that would be the way it would be. You know, I mean, he had already filled all his tags and he ended up helping out the other outfitters so that we could continue to hunt. He told me, he said, I don't want to see you guys go home without, without getting to hunt. And he provided a great opportunity to go hunting. And I will go back. Phil, do you have anything to add? Um, yeah, I, I agree, obviously, with, with what the guys are saying there. Um, you know, Steve, um, and you probably, you have a little different perspective because you were able to get a moose right off the bat, um, Steve, not too long after. I, I didn't see a moose until the last day of the hunt. But I, I got to tell you, every time I went out, I felt like that I was right on top of moose. Um, you know, there, there were some weather challenges and, um, that kind of slowed things down, I think. Um, but I, I think that the guides were, were putting us in an area where we were, were likely to see moose and, and get a moose. Um, so I was real happy with that. Um, I, I love the camp setup. Um, it was very primitive. So, um, that might be worth, um, talking through depending on what kind of camp you would like. Um, I, I could see that there would be folks who would not like a camp that primitive, um, but I absolutely loved it. Um, I couldn't have asked for a, a better camp. Well, our restroom, um, our restroom had a great view, didn't you think? It did. The washroom had an awful, wonderful window to the world. <laughs> uh, um, I, I could have probably had a better roommate, but <laughs> um, yeah, when you bring him with you, you know what? <laughs> you can't complain about that. Yeah, well, sometimes, sometimes <laughs> the Roby is there. Sometimes you get the short straw. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I'm gonna. Yeah, the, that, you know, hunting licenses. Why don't you guys talk about were the hunting licenses part of part of the package? And let's not talk export tags just yet. <laughs> um, yeah, so the, the way that most of the hunts that I looked at were set up is the, the price that they advertise includes your hunting license. Um, it includes airport pickup at, at Saskatoon. It includes your lodging and food for the week. And it includes airport drop-offs back in Saskatoon after your hunt. So it, it's really an all-inclusive package. Um, it was also a one-on-one -on -one guided package. Um, I, I know that there are some that do a one-on-two guided package, and those are a little bit cheaper, but quite frankly, um, it's, it's a very minor difference in cost between the one-on-one the -on -one and the one-on-two. So I, I would certainly recommend doing the one-on-one. -on -one. Um, and the, the guys that we hunted with, I, th I think taught us a lot. Um, one of the things that I'll say that I, I didn't think to ask this until the very end of the hunt, when I was talking to Nathan and I said, Hey, you know, um, I'm coming back next year and I'm coming back the next year after that, I would like to go try to call them on my own and do a self-guided hunt 
is that something that's acceptable with you? And he was like, oh, yeah, we, we have guys that do that um, a lot that want to come up and just do it by themselves. So if you want to come out and go out on your own and hunt on your own, you're, you're more than welcome to do that. Um, I, I wish I would have known that early on. Um, but what I learned from his guides, the days that I hunted with them, I think will prepare me so that next year when I go up, I, I will feel comfortable going out and doing a self-guided hunt. I just got to learn how to call. Yeah. Well, there is, there is always the fact that you can use an electronic call if you want. There are several different models for that. You know, I, I guess I yep. haven't thought about that, but there definitely is. Yeah, I've done some research and I've already identified um, a, a good candidate for a uh, automatic call. And, um, you know, I, I think... Bud actually has more of a knack for calling than I do. And so, you know, it might be a situation where you do, where you team up and two of you go out and I can let Bud call me a moose in and then I can hang back at camp while he goes and gets his own. <laughs> Seems reasonable to me. I guess I'd, I'd be right there with that. You know, I'm sure by then I'll have already finished up my hunt so I can entertain you and, you know, while Bud goes up. <laughs> Tracks down the Wiley Moose and comes back with one. That the the electronic call raises a interesting question though, and I, I don't know if you guys want to get into it, but I know they can use electronic calls because they're First Nation folks. They're hunting on First Nation land, but is it okay for us to use electronic calls if we were doing a self guided hunt on their land? I, I don't know if that's if that's the case or not. I think as long as, um, as long as you have a first nation, and I'm guessing here, guys, but as long as you have a first nation license, I think you would be permitted to have an electronic. You'd be permitted to use electronic call, but I don't know that for a fact. Yeah, I think that'd be something to do a little research on to find out. I certainly wouldn't want to go to another country and break a law. Yeah, you know, I don't like I don't like mistakenly doing something here. While I'm hunting, and I sure don't want to do it in another country. Yeah, it's for technically two countries, right? I mean, not only Canada, but also First Nations, right? So you guys just yeah, I'm not I'm not sure if they handle the same as the U.S. does with them being a completely separate sovereign nation or not. I don't know how that works. So, but you know, that let's bring this up. I mean, and I didn't have this in here, so it's just kind of a I'm calling an audible here a little bit, but. Um, you know, we hunted on reservation ground, right? Nathan had, what, 30,000 acres that he was permitted to hunt in? Yeah, to use for guiding. Yeah. And, you know, there's, there's nuances associated to hunting. And the reason I bring this up is for our listeners. There's nuances to hunting on private ground, hunting on reservation ground, hunting on public ground. I mean, there's just little nuances to that that I think we'll get into uh, a little bit later in the, in the episode. But I just wanted to bring that out. I mean, uh, we did hunt on reservation ground. Yes. Yeah, we hunted on First Nations ground exclusively. And, uh, you know, and this is something I think Bud brought up. I mean, was the area not teeming with wildlife? I mean, I can't believe I've seen so much wildlife in one area. Yeah, I, I would, well, I mean, 
that area was one thing that Phil said when we got there. He said, wow, this reminds me of where your cabin is. And I, and I agree. I mean, it, the, the terrain, the type of forest, the type of ground, everything is virtually the same as what I deal with every day. I'm in the woods in my area. And I felt very at home there. I mean, I, I look at the trees, I look at everything is the same growing. It's, it just happens to be in our, in that area. And of course, that's a little more tempered area than, than us, but it, it's equivalent, even though they are probably at least seven to eight hours further north than, than us, than my land. So I'm going to move on. Uh, hey, what would you guys say are some of the watchouts in, and I'm going to target this to an outfitter. And I know we've already touched on this a little bit, but we'll start with you, Steve. What are some of the watchouts from an outfitter perspective? Well, I think the, the one thing I think the one thing that you have to do clearly is you have to know what the laws are in those areas. And luckily, when we crossed the border, we were informed of changes in the laws that had happened the year prior. I believe, I believe they happened in twenty. 2021 i think they happened and they changed the tagging system prior prior to that you could you could export with a first nations tag and that wasn't readily accepted by the first nations uh the different bands you know they I, if i remember correct i think he said there were 74 different bands in the in the province of saskatchewan and they hadn't received that edict from the uh province very well you know and I think that's where a lot of the problems came in because the export tags that they were, that they wanted to give would not get you out of the country with the meat. Overall, you know, I'm going to lead with Bud. Overall, how happy were you with hunting in Canada? Oh, I, I thought the experience was, was great. Um, and I think anytime you, you, and we had been on the road already hunting elk for a week, right? Before we got up there to meet you guys in Saskatoon. So, and then we got a little change in plans to, you know, uh, the more rustic camp, but, you know, Phil and I are both military guys, retirees, flexibility, you know, is the key to air power. It's also the, the key to happy hunting a lot of times. And so, um, it turned out great. Um, I, I thought the, I thought the experience, uh, being up there, it's interesting, you know, um, downloaded the iHunt Saskatchewan app, uh, but then I didn't get enough service to actually ever check it and see where I was, right? Uh -huh. uh, Phil was smart enough, I think, to take his GPS and drop some points and then, you know, so you can kind of figure out where you're at. Um, but for me, um, I, I liked it a lot. I, I kind of agree with Phil. I think I wish I'd have been a little bit more aggressive uh, early on in those first few days um with frank you know and pushing on some things to go go a few different areas and look around a little more um uh you know by day four kind of sort of had a much better lay of the land i think i would have probably wanted to hunt a little bit differently in the beginning if i had known that so uh but that's on me uh you know new guy not really knowing uh what's going on but um otherwise i mean I, i'm going back too i've already then in a deposit for next year and the next year. And uh, because it's, you know, I, I, I disconnect when I go hunting. It's refreshing for me, the soul refreshing activity. And uh, the, the place up there is fantastic. And um, so I, I, I'm going to do it again. So clearly I, I liked it. 
And so, I mean, I'm thinking about 2024, I think you and Phil and I are all confirmed, right? Nope. Yeah, and I have, I've got an answer for my son over the weekend, and he wants to go next year, and I would go 2024 and shoot one again in a heartbeat. So I just have to get with Nathan and get my deposits there. Yeah, so are, are you and Chet both going to hunt in 2024? Or are you well, just going to go I, with Chet? Okay. He, he can go. He wants to go next year. And Nathan told me that I could just come with and hunt. And maybe I can yeah. find something else to hunt while we're there. But to bring back two moose or to kill two moose, I, you know, one moose is enough. It's a lot of cutting. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. As, as for that, I would then I want to hunt myself again in 2024. And I would like I, I would yeah. like to shoot at least one more before then. And then I would also like to try to find a place to hunt caribou. I've never done that. Yeah, and I and I would really prefer that it's a drive to also I would love to be able to bring back the animals you know part of that is the fun of doing it so yeah I think one of those gotchas that you were that Steve was talking about earlier though uh you know, I think we decided to move up earlier in the season and I think something that your listeners might want to get you to although Phil and I talked to a guy in Montana getting gas who had just come back from the Battleford's area as well. And, uh, his, his party was over, over four. And so, uh, and was not too far away from us, um, in terms of hunting. So, but, but I think you need to be careful about which week this week worked out for Phil and I, because we were already elk hunting the previous week. So we'd already driven a couple thousand miles. So what's another couple thousand on top of that? Um, but, but the season is important, especially when you've got outfitters that are running the same area. Yeah. For, yeah. Our, for our area, what, what, what week did he say is the best? So Nathan uh, said the first week of October is the best. Um, that's what we're booked for in 2024. In 2023, we're booked for the last week of September. And he called that his bow hunting week. Um, he said that's when they call them in really close and that we should bring our bows and we would have a decent opportunity to shoot one with a bow if we wanted. Yeah, so the, the, the last week of September is really the early part of the rut when they're really calling in good. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's awesome. I, I would agree that the first, I think that the last weekend in September is actually probably the, the time that I really would want to hunt. I mean, that's when we always hunted them here in Minnesota. And that was always the best time to see them. So, yeah. So we'll get a good idea because we'll, we'll have hunted all three weeks in the, the last week of September, the first week of October and the uh, um, second week of October. Hey, let's shift gears a little bit. So Phil, how do, how do you think the border crossing and entering into Canada went for you guys? Um, we didn't have any trouble at all. Um, we crossed in a, in a place on the border where there was only, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I think there was only one um, border patrol on the U.S. side and there was two on the Canadian side. It was a very small crossing and they were all very nice to us. Um, they told us what we needed to do to get it back across the border and everything went real smooth, um, both going and coming. 
we didn't have any issues. Yeah, I, I would just add that we had some information that that crossing or that some of those crossings were open 24 hours, but then when we, we went to call, uh, found out that they're actually not. And so make sure that you plan ahead enough to know when yours is open. And there's even one of them we didn't use where the U.S. hours and the Canada hours are off by an hour. So one opens at eight, the other doesn't open until nine, one closes at four, one closes at five. Yeah. I believe that's due to, uh, due to uh, daylight savings time was why that difference is. Some good border cooperation there. Yeah. What can you say? You know, everybody wants to work normal day hours. So, Steve, how, how would you say our crossing went going into Canada? I think going into Canada, it went well. I, I don't think we had any troubles at all with uh, going to the border. We went in and filled out our forms so that, you know, we had our the important things to us listed was by serial number. So bringing them back into the States wasn't a problem. We crossed into uh, Saskatchewan and there was basically a lineup of people waiting to get their, their uh, paperwork for importing a firearm. And we were happened to be at the back end. And, and then I guess through uh, Providence, just dumb luck, call it whatever. One of the uh, conservation officers walked in mm-hmm. and had, had a problem with uh, some tags for another individual the day before and actually went back and he was there to go through the, uh, through the video of the, of the, uh, uh, interview room he was in with him and with the gentleman and then came out and said he'd like to speak to all of the moose hunters and he went to each group and spoke to each group so we ended up spending probably nearly an hour there while we waited for him and it took 20 20 25 minutes by the time we got the paperwork done for the guns and everything bringing them in and then we spent another half an hour waiting our turn and talking to the co and that was a very important time because he made it abundantly clear that of this changes from 2021 the first change i believe the first year you had to have these these new tags for export tags that that are approved by the by the provincial government there that we had to have those to cross and we could not leave first nations land without having those in hand and he also told us at that moment that if we filled out a tag and we didn't get that tag we were to call him now i don't know I don't know what that meant exactly, if that meant we were we were going to be getting our animal or not getting it, but we were, we were told that if we didn't get the new green tag to make sure to call him. Yeah, and for our viewers, we'll show at the end of this episode, I took a picture of this green export tag, and it's green for First Nations. So if you're hunting on First Nations or Indian reservation ground, you have to have this green export tag. He, he made it clear uh, the day before, and he asked us where we were hunting, and we told him up we were up hunting up by north of North Battleford, and he said, he goes, well, he goes, there was a gentleman that came through last night, the, the previous night, and who had been hunting up in this north of North Battleford area, and uh, he, he was a little vague as far as who this hunter was hunting with. Um, but he cleared that up later on, but, uh, they had seized the moose, the animal, uh, find the guy. Was it $2,000? $2,100. $2,100. 
and uh, and now we're not sure, but I think the maybe his hunting rights were suspended. Um, I don't believe his hunting rights were suspended, uh, but he was definitely he was definitely cited and had to pay a fine before leaving the country and lost you his know, lost lost his his meat was confiscated and his horns were confiscated. So and. And upon when we when we did stop on the American side and and that was one thing that we were warned about. And they they were familiar with the fact he had to have the green tag. And they told us even on the on the US side of uh, at the border crossing that we had to have this tag. And if and there happened to be four officers from the US Fish and Wildlife Service there, plus four other officers from Border Patrol there that were inspecting everything that came across. Now, when it came time for us to return with our elk or with our moose, there was not near the contingent of of officers there. It went very well, very smooth. And but we had everything done. Our guide was extremely good about saying you need to do this, 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 this to go across, and this is what you have to do. And and we did everything, and we we breezed right through. Yeah. So now, uh, Phil, I think we met up in. The four of us met up in Saskatoon. Is that right? Yeah. Right. And so right. I think the four of us all, I think this is a good time to continue talking about export tags because I mean, where you crossed, they didn't talk about export tags, right? No, they didn't mention it at all. So, I mean, it was in, after the fact, I think it was super smart that the CEO or lucky, maybe is a better word. Uh, that the CO officer, conservation officer, uh, ended up reaching out to us and explaining to us the details on these export tags. But then the reason I wanted to focus on you, Phil, you reached out to the outfitter and then unto the guide to talk about the green export tag, right? Right. Yeah. And uh, basically um, what the broker said is, no, no, um, you don't you don't have to have that green tag, um, which was concerning because I I expected him to know what the laws were right. And so you asked about gotchas a while ago. I, I would offer that I, I was a little bit naive in thinking that um, the folks that I had talked to would know what all of the laws were, and that as long as we did what they told us, we were fine. Um, in hindsight. Um, I, I would recommend that you definitely got to know for yourself what the laws are because you can't always count on them to know what the laws are. And this was a case that um, it, it's been developing, like Steve said, for over the last year. And it really comes down to there's an argument between the province of Saskatchewan and the First Nation tribes over how that first license, first nation land is managed and um, it's in the courts. Um, there's lawyers involved. Um, I don't know if it'll be resolved by next year. I would be surprised if it is. Um, but as we all agreed, when we talked about it is we didn't really care. We just didn't want to be caught in the middle um, between the two. So as long as the outfitter understood that we required that green tag and he offered us that green tag with our moose, then we were fine. Um, where we were going to get into trouble, and this is where we would have had to have called the 
the officer that Steve talked about is if they would have not given us the green tag. Um, so it took us a couple of days of talking to different folks before they clearly understood that, that we were not going to accept leaving the reservation without that green tag. And, and that's what Nathan told me. I think he probably told you guys too, is the hunt permit that was issued by the First Nation covers us for while we're on First Nation land. But as soon as we step foot off of First Nation land, then we're subject to the laws of the province of Saskatchewan. And that's what was getting these folks in trouble at the border. Correct. That is correct. That is why that, and I, I can't say enough to, to about that CO looking, he, he was looking out for our best interest and he was adamant about it though, you know, having understand a bit about having an understanding of, of law enforcement, I understand where he couldn't say too much, but he gave us more than enough information to be very cautious about what we were willing to do. I think that, and, and when we got there and I started to explain some of these things, you know, and, and luckily uh, Phil's son had, had talked to someone he knew whose father, his father had had trouble. And we ended up uh, touching base with that gentleman that evening. And he, he also got his moose confiscated because he didn't have the green tag that he was supposed to have when he went. So, you know, again, in that situation, buyer beware, you, you need to be sure you have everything there is. And I know that the next time next year, I will reach out to the same CEO and ask him how things have went with it. And if it's all still there, and I'm sure the gentleman will remember us. He spent enough time talking to us and being very adamant about us, making sure that we had that green tag. Yeah, I wouldn't. And, you know, this is more for our, our viewers and listeners. I wouldn't let it inhibit us, uh, inhibit you from going up there and hunting. It's just making sure that your eyes are dotted and T's crossed and hey, you're making sure that you're going to get a proper export tag. And again, we're talking a green export tag for reservation for reservation hunting, but um, I cannot off the top of my, off my head. I think it's red, but, uh, but it's another colored tag for everywhere else. It's not reservation. So. Yeah, we're it, it was an orangish red, you know, color. I don't know if it was orange or whatever. It was a photocopy we were looking at. But yeah, for the provincial lands, private lands, it was a different color, definitely. It was uh, probably more of a burnt orange or whatever you'd like to call it. Would you guys Would you guys agree with that? Would you, you wouldn't let it hinder you, just... No. No, I no. would go hunting. I would go hunting and will go hunting with this gentleman again. Yeah. I have... I have complete faith in him. What were you going to say, bud? No, I would just say uh, forewarned is forearmed, right? So you, you get educated about it, you know. And, and you know, even though it's been going on for a year, it is relatively new and different. And I would also say the red flags went up for me like they did for Phil when we talked to the broker and he kind of played it off, right? And, uh, and didn't like that very much. But the reality is, is it's fairly new and, and, you know, uh, the border that we crossed, uh, they never said anything about it. The guy said he had the forms ready. He was disappointed that we hadn't didn't have one in the freezer. And he said he had the forms ready. But, um, you know, if you guys crossed at a real significant high, you know, high traffic portal, right, where there are a lot of people. And so uh, not to be an apologist for the broker or the or the guys that were only sending down the white tags, 
it's it hasn't been going on for that long. Yeah. And it's a legit beef between First Nation and, and Canada. And like Phil said, we just wanted to be legal and not in the middle of it. Right. hundred percent. Correct. Yeah. I don't. However, they take care of their problem there and get that satisfied to the best of the ability they can. I'm good with whatever they do. I just don't want to lose what I the, the meat that I expect to take and the and the and the trophy antlers back. I want to make sure that I can bring what I have with me. As long as I've done everything legally, I then the way I should do it. I I don't want to be caught in the middle of someone else's legal argument. Yeah, we, we're all just lucky that Steve's kind of shady looking and drew the attention of the <laughs> conservation officers. So they get the right. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, kindred spirits, you know. <laughs> so, hey, moving on. Hey, how far up was our camp? You know, from the border. Anybody how have far anybody? across? How far across the border? Yeah. I would say about seven hours north of the border would be a fair thing. Yeah. So if you look at it on a map, we were about halfway up um, north to south on Saskatchewan, and we were right next to the Alberta border. And and really, it's it's only a few hours north of where we are, where there's hardly any roads at all. Um, so from uh, the standpoint of where most people live in Saskatchewan, we were we were well north of most of the population of Saskatchewan. And it was um, mostly gravel roads and um, a lot of a lot of open country. Yeah, I mean, I was looking at it and we we were really not that far from the Northwest Territories. Well, we were still probably. We were still probably, you know, I would say four hours fly time even, you know, I mean, it was quite a ways. I, you know, it's, it's it probably 800 kilometers, 600 miles, whatever you want to say in that situation. But the road we were on when, when we turned, once we took, took off or got off the gravel road in the, uh, in the bush and turned onto the, to what was as close to a paved road as you could get there, you know, it's a, it's an oil shale press road. Uh, that road went on to Fort McMurray in, in uh, Alberta. So, you know, it just hooked back around and went up to Fort McMurray. So we were far enough north. I know that. No, I was just going to say from where we were there in North Battleford, it was several hours on straight north of there to LaGrange and the paved roads, the last paved road going north ends so about 30 miles north of LaGrange. But there's a gravel road then that goes, and, and I'm saying eight hours, it's a gravel road that you're driving 60 mile an hour on, and it's an eight-hour drive from Laurens up to the airstrip up there, Points North Landing. And uh, it's probably been 10 years ago or so that they built another road from Points North Landing up to Black Lake. And that's got to be another 10 or so hours on gravel road. And and that's all still in Saskatchewan. That's before you get to Northwest Territory. So while it may look like not very far on a map, um, if you were to try to drive it or fly it in a bus plane or a float plane, um, it's a long way. Well, you know, it's, it's an even shorter distance if you're looking at it on your phone. <laughs> <laughs> it's only a minute. Yeah, where you're talking about, is especially in, you know, maybe one of these days the this uh, group of gentlemen can go up and make that trip to Wollaston. 
I would love to do that. Absolutely. You know, yeah. just remember when you're on those big, heavy roads like that with, for heavy equipment, always remember that the man coming at you in the, in the truck, he takes his section of the road right out of the middle. He doesn't get on the soft edges. Yeah. Hey, moving along. If, Hey, if our listeners were to be considering going on a moose hunt, what would be the things they should consider? And I'll start with you, Phil. Uh, I, I'll go back to something that, that Steve said early on, that the very first thing that you need to consider is who are you going to go with? Who do you trust well enough to take care of themselves, to contribute to the group? Um, who do you want to spend a week with when you're tired and wet and at your worst and grouchy? Um, there are so many guys that I know and guys even that I've hunted with that I would not want to have that experience with. And so the first thing you really got to take a hard look at is, is who do you really want to go with? It's going to have a positive attitude. Who's going to, who's going to contribute to the group and you're going to enjoy spending that time with. Uh, and I was a guest, right? I was a guest. I wasn't even chosen, really. <laughs> yeah, we kind of got lucky with you. But, you know. <laughs> Keep going, Phil. I agree. Um, I, think I think that that yeah. is really key to it. You know, I mean, we, we, yeah. got a good, we had a good group of people, and it was fun. Yeah. Um, and then the other couple things that I would just toss in there is, is what what size of moose are you are you looking for? How much money do you want to spend? And do you want to drive or fly? Yeah. You guys have anything else to add, Phil, uh, Bud, Steve? I think that just you know find out what your expectations are in the camp. You know, I uh, I don't I don't know how you have hunted with Joel and what the what the uh, uh, camps were like, but I've hunted in many places that, well, my, as you saw my, my bedroll, if I had to have slept outside underneath the stars, my bedroll was capable of it. You know, I mean, I, I would have just laid right down, went to sleep outside if that's what had to be done. So do I want to do that? No. Do I like having all the, you know, the accommodations? Yeah, I do. But I was more than comfortable where we were. And, and that's just something that, you know, if, if you are used to hunting the equivalent of hunting out of a hotel, you know, again, be careful with what you're, what you're asking for, because, you know, high dollar hotels and moose hunts in the, in the bush don't really fall together. Bud, do you have anything to add? Yeah, I would say that the, a, a couple things, um, you know, Think about the time commitment, right, that you're putting in, but weigh that against, um, you know, how many times are you going to get a chance to have this opportunity, right? And so, um, you know, we, we had a really good friend that passed away a few years ago that we had hunted with for a long time, and and all of us have sort of adopted this, the, the time is now to do the things that we want to do kind of attitude. And, uh, and so, but it is a big time commitment, especially if you're going to drive. And you, you need to think about whether you're willing to do that. But I would always caution, hey, you know, you need to think about how often you're going to get an opportunity to do this, this kind of thing. Right. Um, and, and then, you know, <clears throat> the, the other thing I would 
um, add is not only the the stuff that the guys have uh, you know talked about, but also you know be ready to be flexible. And I mentioned it before, but you know if you're going to make this commitment and you're going to do it, you got to be ready for to adapt to changes because you know at the end of the day, unless you have two or three weeks, right? You, you're, the clock is ticking. So be willing to do the things like buy the gear you need if you don't have it or to change your hunt location and those kind of things. Be ready to be flexible to try to get it done. Yeah, those are good ads. Good ads. All right. So um, moving on to, hey, what items do you think are necessary for one to take on a big game hunt? We'll start with you, Steve. Well, depending upon the hunt, but, you know, I, the, the key for this, for me, being as it was a drive-to hunt, was to be able to bring all of the meat back. I, I've been on that on that moose hunt where I came back with horns and, and, a, and a package of uh, steaks, and away we go. I, I didn't want to do that. I wanted to, if I was going to shoot a large animal, I wanted to bring it back. So that meant generator, trailer, freezer in the, freezers in the trailer, equipped to handle it i mean we showed up you know you you know when we when you showed up at my place you had a you already had a sawzall with you so i mean we were we were geared to do the cutting and whatever we needed to do at that point along with knives and whatever we had to do that was probably the most important thing you know, having ropes having ability and the knowledge chainsaw to build whatever you need to build like in the in the bush there if you had to build a way to you know just the uh uh any type of uh, A-frame setup to hold your meat off the ground, you need to be able to do that. You know, now, does everybody have that ability? I'm not sure. I, you know, in the groups that I hunt with, that's a standard. There's nothing it is. I mean, you just do it. Um, as for gear, I agree with Bud. You make sure when you when you bring your gear that you, you have your backups, you know. If you'd have looked in my backpack, you would have found a compass on one of the uh, one of the straps. You'd have found a compass in the front pouch, and you'd have found a compass tied in the bottom of the of my pouch. I, you know, of course, uh, being uh, a little older than some of you gentlemen, I'm I'm used to lack of electronics. You know, as 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 Bud alluded to the fact that you know, having hunted prior to the actual telephones, you know, and cars. It was uh, it was something we needed to have, you know. He he was the geezer of the group. Yeah, that'd be uh, Mr. Geezer to you, <laughs> Mr. Geezer. So I'm the geezer everywhere we go. Seems like Bud, you got anything to add? Yeah, no, I mean, <clears throat> no, I, I think being prepared, and then uh, if you if you pack, um, make sure that you know. Uh, the stuff that you're comfortable in, right? And uh, and then the other thing is, you know, be prepared because we switched from staying in a hotel where we probably could have done, you know, if I had to pack light because we thought we could do laundry, <laughs> you know, uh, and then ended up seven days in the bush, basically, where you didn't really have anything but, uh, you know, baby wipes. That's the other thing I would say, baby wipes, baby wipes, baby wipes, right? Baby wipes. Uh, so... <laughs> Um, but yeah, and, and, you know, just typical stuff, something you're comfortable in, but that you can layer, right? Because even in the short seven days we were up there, we experienced a, a, a big swing, right? Uh, in, in weather and weather types. 
Yeah, well, from 70 degrees to near zero one day. So, Phil, you got anything else you want to add? Yeah, I would, I would throw in a couple things. Um, Steve mentioned freezers. You need one freezer for every person or for every moose that you expect to kill. Because I, I think you guys found out that there was, there's no way you're putting two moose in one freezer. So, um, so make sure that you, you can cover that. Um, book the hotels early. I, I booked our hotels for the original hunt a year in advance. Um, that's as far out as most people will let you book. Um, so I just put a placeholder on my calendar and when it got to the one year point, I called and booked our hotels, um, book your hunt early. A lot of these hunts, they're already um, selling out for 2023. Um, they're already selling spots in 2024. So this is something that you, you really got to plan ahead on. Um, unless you hope to get lucky and get a cancellation hunt or something. Um, so, so you really do need to plan a couple years out for this. And, and that gives you time to start acquiring stuff. Uh, I, I had a single axle trailer that I was not going to be comfortable taking two deep freezes up there on uh, full of moose coming back. So I, I traded out and I got a dual axle trailer specifically for this hunt. Um, but by planning two years out, it gave me time to put together all of that stuff that I thought I was going to need. Um, I think we bought extra deep freezes because we knew we were going on this and, and that sort of thing. And um, the baby wipes, yeah, that's okay. But I'm taking a camp shower next time. <laughs> yeah. One thing that, you know, like what I did after we got back was the trailer that, that Tim and I took up there was, was to say the least, a little low. And it has already, it has already been raised and the axles have been, have been uh, moved on it. So that it is now at least five inches taller than it was, and it has two spare tire mounts on it. <laughs> so you talk about freezer, bud. I mean, I think we, I brought up a 15 cubic feet, and I would say that's bare minimum. You wouldn't want anything smaller than that. Yeah, no, no unless you, unless you're committed to boning everything out, and I think that, might cause a problem for you coming back to potentially. I think leaving them quartered is probably the easiest way to get back to the border. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think with you because the, uh, the moose that Tim shot fit in a, in that freezer simply, but the one I had barely fit in the freezer, the bigger freezer. There you go. You know, that, that was that, that was that veiled bragging about, about you know, first it was the fact that you know I shot his moose, even though he fell out of the he fell out of the ATV while I was taking the shot. I mean, that seemed to have missed the episode. I just wanted to make sure that that got in there. Well, I I, 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 agree, I agree that uh, that the ground may have been a little bit uneven, but I you know I to say one thing you know I mean you know in in my defense. I did have to have a bigger freezer because my animal was a foot wider, a foot taller, and the chest was a foot deeper than the one you shot. And of course, the horns were four or five times the size, and it was—it just took more room and it was heavier. It's, it was a lot of hard work. I just got to say one thing: and, thank God and, you got a bigger one because I would have hated to hear you whine if 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 you shot <laughs> something that was small. 
But I, I, I think Steve was just talking about himself there. He wasn't talking about the moose yet. <laughs> so, hey, wrapping up. So, um, let, let me let, let me throw out one more thing here too. Um, I I took my uh, Gore-Tex hunting boots that I would use in the mountains that that me and Bud had used when we were elk hunting in Montana. Uh, what I didn't take was rubber boots or muck boots. And for a moose hunt, what I did, what I learned is you're spending a, a considerable amount of time around marshy areas. And for my next trip, I'm definitely taking some good uh, muck boots or, uh, or uh, rubber boots so that I can walk the edges of those areas without worrying about getting my feet wet. Something that comes up pretty close to knee high. I'm also going to throw in my hip waders. I use those for whitetail in a number of situations. And I saw situations up there where had I had a pair of hip waders and I was hunting by myself, I could have made the move on some areas that nobody else would, would go to because they had regular boots. Yeah, I agree. Uh, you know what? You said something else about the marshy areas. I was telling Joel about this. Uh, Nathan was bringing up about these marshes, and you remember the lookout. You could be looking out over this whole area, and you're thinking it's a forest. And he would tell you that's eight foot deep of water. And yet, a floating bog. Yeah, but by looking at it, it looks just like a forest. Yeah, it, but they, I agree, those were floating bogs. You know, so I've seen that many times in Canada, like where we fished up in the English River and that, where you'd be coming across. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I we had just passed there an hour prior to that, and there were no trees and no land there, and it was just floating by going north, you know. Wrapping up, guys, what are we missing? What What are we missing? I, do we miss anything? You know, the one thing I can think of right offhand is, is when you go and you have a sense of humor. So don't be mad, Phil. Now I've already called your wife and she's poked holes in all your boots. <laughs> yeah. but don't be mad at her. I mean, I'm the one that instigated it, you know. So, and I also told I, her the insurance paid up. <laughs> I, I don't know if she's real happy with me going back up, but that's okay. To get over it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I guess that explains why she's so quick to poke the holes in your new boots. <laughs> yeah. So, lastly, any any regrets, guys? Any regrets? Not a one. It was probably one of the best hunts I've ever been on with the with the people I was with and with the, uh, the time in the area spent. Yeah, no, I'm like I said, I'm going back, so no, no regrets. Um, looking forward to it. And we don't need to ask Phil. I mean, because he's going up with holy boots and he's doing it twice in the same month. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in the next two years, is that so? in the next two years. Well, first off, yeah. thank you guys for inviting me to come along. I had a great time, and uh, also really appreciated you guys coming on this show. Um, this probably will be a couple of episodes being there at least, but super appreciate you guys spending time, but I know, I know from a time zone perspective, it's getting late for you, but, uh, again, thank you guys so much.
My pleasure. Yeah, no, it was, it was great uh, getting you for the first time, Tim. It's fantastic. So you're a great dude. I'm sure Joel's a great dude, too, because he's a buddy of yours. And so happy to do it. All right. Thank you. Phil, good luck on your hunt. Keep us, uh, keep us in tune. I will. All right, fellas, we'll let you go. Thanks again. Have a great night. We'll uh, catch up with you. Sounds good. Bye. Right. Thanks for listening or watching our show. We have some exciting topics and guests coming up. We ask that you subscribe to our channel on YouTube and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We look forward to hearing your suggestions for topics, questions, and comments. This is Two Dumbasses signing off. Until next time, be, be safe, safe, have, have fun, fun, and, and get, get outdoors. outdoors.